So, uh, first of all, welcome everyone to, um, well, and life itself kind of like thought cast, we could, we could call it, uh, where we're trying out sharing some of our developing ideas, things that we're seeing, things that we're reflecting on uh, in a dialogic format um, online. With me, I have our head of research, uh, Liam Kavanagh. I'm Rufus Pollock, one of the co-founders of Life Itself. And today we're going to talk about sustainable well-being and the politics of sustainable well-being and i'm going to act here as the socratic interlocutor to uh, to liam who's the leading leading this topic and leading our wiser policy forum series on the politics of sustainable well-being so liam do you want to start maybe by telling telling me and telling us a little bit about like what is sustainable well-being and what is the politics of sustainable well-being yeah. Sure. Um, so, I mean, sustainable well-being is is in some way what's on the tin that sustainable or sustainability is this idea that we have, and we use it, we apply it to economics, that we have a kind of way of life and way of providing ourselves for ourselves and our needs, which is sustainable over time. But the well-being part is that, well, the focus of what we want to make sustainable is our subjective experience of life. So how how good it is to be alive is sustainable and maybe even expanding over time. The idea there is as well that that we might may be able to expand how good it is to be alive over time, uh, even more so than it is now, while being sustainable. Uh, and the, the politics of sustainable well-being are, are really interesting because it's almost obvious, right, that sustainable well-being should be kind of an organizing principle of society, right? We obviously want to have good lives and we don't want the way that we produce those good lives to make our environment or our social system fall apart in such a way that the same kind of good lives aren't available to our future generation. But that isn't our organizing principle, and not only is it not the organizing principle of society, it isn't really the stated organizing principle of the environmental movement. You don't really get that really clearly when you walk into an, you know, an environmental rally. You don't really get that really clearly when you talk to people and well-being either, right? So despite the fact that these kinds of things are, uh, that a having having an offer of better lives, right? How great it is to be alive could expand while we're sustainable, that kind of offer, that kind of viewpoint, which I think is credible, should be really helpful to the environmental movement for having a positive message, uh, for sounding less like a kind of exercise um, who's willing to suffer the most uh, and, and more in, in terms of, well, how do we rediscover what really matters uh, and, and live for future generations uh, in, in such a way now uh, that we, we kind of set a tone, right, for the future, right? That isn't, that isn't coming across. And so there's a question then, like, well, why? Okay, right? so just, to just, but just, so just there, just to summarize it. So sustainable well-being is basically a principle or approach 
in, in a nutshell. It's very, now that we're familiar with sustainability, it's about a sustainable social economic system that, that i.e. can go on producing what it's producing kind of materially wise into the future, maybe institutionally. And it's focused on well, kind of sustaining or growing well-being. And we want both, we want a level of well-being that's sustainable. Um, and it's, so it's this principle and approach to how we would organize society. That, and what you also said was, a, that should just be obviously, you know, kind of when you think about it, isn't that just obviously how we should organize society? And and um, and what you said is that may be so, but actually it isn't. That's why it's, it, it's you know, coming up with a principle that's just everyone's already like, yeah, of course we're already doing that. But this principle, though obvious, isn't adopted and isn't even adopted necessarily by groups you would say who might be really in kind of in favor of the environmental movement and so on. So yeah, so then the second point is I then get just to check the politics of sustainable well-being is is what the effort to make this a core, a key a key part of policy is that or is, or, or exactly. is a way of addressing climate climate yeah. Oh yeah, well it's all of the all of the how do we address the, the climate crisis because that is sustainable well-being, right? So addressing addressing the climate crisis if you're interested in sustainable well-being then the first question is well we have a sustainability problem and how how do we use perspectives on well-being to address that sustainability problem part of the, the way of motivating people to be sustainable is to offer a vision that is better than the life they have now yet sustainable uh yeah. you know and 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 that's the way you, one would build a coalition, right? Well, okay, we're all going to have better lives while our society as a whole is sustainable. That sounds good. <laughs> you know, let's make that happen. That's the way to put sustainability, you know, sustainable well-being in the center of, of society is to, to build a program based on the principle that people look at uh, and progressively over time gravitate towards uh, so that this becomes the the organizing principle of society and you know, the question of the dialogues has been well how do we get that started and, and what does it look like and the thing is though is also a hot topic because in a way we have something not like we have a very clear looming i think to most people looming climate crisis uh maybe not even looming i'd say present becoming present very present and the thing is so the sustainable well-being approach could also be you're kind of saying a way there seems to be a bit of a deadlock. Like we're not making the progress we'd like to policy-wise. We seem, but so why is sustainable well-being sort of not? I want to use the term solution. Why is it a? Why is the principle and approach possibly you useful in 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 taking action and 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 kind of driving political action around the climate crisis? Well, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you could you could look at it, right? So this first coalition building, right? That, okay, look, because the, the basic principle is, okay, we can have better lives, probably. There's a really good chance we could have better lives while being sustainable. So thinking about, well, what does it look like to have better lives and being sustainable allows the beginning of a, of a formation of a platform. Now, a lot of the radicality that would be called for as part of that platform, we might not be ready for, uh, but uh, we can get started thinking about it and we can help the platform 
we can allow people to realize the severity of the of the of challenge we face actually by emphasizing well-being right it's actually possible i mean i i know all sorts of examples where living proof tiktok on admitted for example that you know humans might not be around in 100 years he's a pretty happy guy right uh, yet he he admits it and and many other people that i know that's up oh we're not all tiktok on you know i'm fairly happy day to day and i know lots of people who are fairly happy day to day at the same time that we accept social collapse is you know quite possible and allowing oneself the ability to admit that there's a real possibility that you know, we're going to have major instability socially at the same time we can be happy now i can hold that awareness and be joyful despite it um is a really powerful way of pushing the conversation forward so it's actually the, the skills of well-being are part of the ability that, that you need to accept the challenge that's set before us by the sustainability crisis and not and not and not fall into either either suppression i it's not going to happen it's all going to be fine um you know we're going to be saved with i don't know whatever or or kind of despair like you know so exactly okay so just so i'm just recapping myself so this is this sustainable well-being is this kind of vision or approach uh in general to organize society it's not as adopted i mean it's not front and center of, of the conversation what i'm getting is it sort of moves us like why it's also a kind of interesting move then politically as a general approach is it's kind of it's one a solution could be like we all just need to go wear our hair shirts we need you know the solution we can get sustainability but we're not going to get well-being you know like we're going to suffer you know we're going to sacrifice um and, and i'm not saying they're really going to be well we're coming at the main materially sacrifice and i think that's a point you're getting at like so that's one aspect which keeps us locked in it you know while well, a load of people don't want that so we're not going to do anything another solution is that well we're not going to be sustainable <laughs> like let's just keep going the way we're going and it will be, you know, maybe we'll be all right on the night. Maybe somehow, you know, <laughs> that will capture this carbon. Um, that's another place in it, like, you know, probably unsustainable, but good on the current well-being, material well-being. And I think you're going to come to is like part of the jiu-jitsu, the sustainable well-being in, in our thinking for ourselves is to be like, okay, we mean something by well-being. We're not saying sustainable growth. We weren't, we weren't saying sustainable growth here. We were saying sustainable well-being. So maybe you could say a bit more about why the term well-being, because it moves into a different quadrant where we can have more well-being, but maybe without, maybe even without more material growth, but without, you know, without, without, with a sustainability. And that's like something that's a kind of sudden shit, shout Even less, even a, a reduction in GDP. I mean, look, you know, if we all know the GDP chart, right? So, you know, for the viewer, it kind of, we're, we're going like this, uh, that, you you get the majority of the the um, happiness or derive the majority of the happiness that we derive from our our current income at say two thirds of it uh, the vast majority uh, for us to get another point on a on a you know a ten point scale of happiness we we have to have something like an average income of a million dollars per person because you need to 
essentially it grows in a way that's called it's logarithmic basically happiness the relationship between happiness and stuff is logarithmic so we essentially need 10 times as much stuff we have now to get one more point uh, under the most charitable assumption about how much material stuff it gives us some people dispute even that but even the most the people who have the the the, the sort of most positive view about the, the contribution of material stuff to happiness would admit that we're basically in order for us to go from 7.2 to 8.2 uh as a society we're talking about say the united states we have essentially almost uh i think it's it's eight to ten times the amount of stuff we have right now like that isn't going to happen right so we've we've at the early stages of society we got these great returns I mean, I personally would say, yeah, people, people, you know, in 1850, they were really benefiting from more stuff. And so there's quite a, 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 a political coalition form. And this is the thing. I, I would say it's, it's less about the idea than contemplating it in a lot of ways. There's this idea, and I would say it's, a, it's I know, to say, go with life itself's general approach. It's a bit of a contemplation of like, okay, this is obviously the organizing principle. Why isn't it the organizing principle, not only of society itself, but the environmental movement or the, the well-being movement? Kind of at the center is there's this 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 political coalition which is formed around around growth. People are making money, industrialists are making lots of money and and creating corporations which had huge economic output, and the average person was. Even though it was unequal, uh, even though there were, there were lots of problems along the line, was getting higher and higher incomes and growing in happiness. And our entire society is kind of centered around, you could say, psychological adjustment to the reality of living inside a society that would run around that political consensus. Uh, and, you know, we got to a certain point with our, our, our happiness, but we're still in that consensus while the the profit and growth imperative, let's call you know, call it by its true name. You know, the growth imperative has a lot to do with the profit imperative where we have a society where laws and lobbying are built around creating ever greater levels of profit uh, and economic growth and that is now infringing on our ability to be happy. So at a certain point, um, the the commitment to material growth was well-being enhancing or the political coalition that formed to uh, structure society about around material growth was, was happiness enhancing. And now it is not happiness enhancing to maintain that political coalition. The, the new coalition to be formed around a new organizing principle and that organizing principle can i think just be called sustainable well-being and i you know i don't mean to take ownership of it if you look at donut economics um you can see it in there um you could see you know there's been a lot of stuff about happiness environment yeah but so we're not trying to own that term but we're we're trying to ask why isn't it the organizing what exactly so wait a second so one is the basic point it's an slightly old one so environment it's like look there should just be this kind of switch like 
this gished out switch, if we, one of the issues, we all want well-being, that's obvious. And what's happened is well-being got collapsed with material growth for sort of good reason. What you're trying to say is that there were good reasons maybe in the past, you know, like, hey, better dentistry or, you know, all the innovation and, and you know, having, you know, not having six kids in the room, you know, and, you know, those were things there was a reason it got collapsed and now that the problem is that growth the material growth machine is what's leading to actually a real risk to well-being in the future the unsustainability we yeah. all we're just, just just to finish so what the switch is is that we've collapsed so when we why we the sustainable well-being is such a big thing is it's really trying to get people to switch their attention or uncollapse something where well-being which is in theory what we always wanted got collapsed with material sort of well-being or material stuff we had and that the sustainable well-being just kind of approach or idea narrative that's why that's in that sense radical and then the second point you're about to come to which i i is kind of central to what we're doing in life itself not saying hey that's super original no people but the politics of it how how does that actually become an, a narrative and why is it attractive right now because you know well, I'm sure we could go talk to whether it's environmental and be like, well, we said that since the eighties or we've said that since whenever what, and you know, we're a car, we got at least training economics or most actual academic companies would say, well, of course, that's what we were always, you know, maximizing utility over time, you know? Um, so what I want to kind of, well, maybe you want to say something more on that, but I want to really come to is like the politics of sustainable well-being. Yeah. And why we, why we think this is both an interesting idea for both the, the climate kind of movement quote unquote the environmental movement but for politicians on all sides of the spectrum but also what what some of the things that might involve and what concretely we're seeking to do at life itself that's a lot of things so let's just start with yeah if we could start yeah going back to the because we're, we're an interesting bit about the the, the coalition the collapsing right so it's, yeah. it's very important you know one thing is just think about the word welfare how well are you faring is, is is what it what it basically means right yeah. but when we talk about welfare payments or just welfare policies what we think of is is payment right just distribution of of, of money that's yeah. kind of the general association of 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 welfare the welfare state is it kind of provides for everybody essentially economically uh it's the main the main association because that term was at a point when the collapse between wealth, well-being, and and money or material goods was very strong, um, then that's kind of connotations and the feeling of the word. So we can look, we can analyze it intellectually and see that isn't really what it means. But what it feels like is kind of okay. We're providing for everybody monetarily, uh, and and that's evidence of the collapse and. Um, and then there's this question of, well, how do we, how do we question that? And well-being is what's nice about well-being is that is an attempt. So in the '90s, people started to talk about well-being as kind of an addition to uh, normal policy uh, ideas, the normal conversation about what makes life worth living. There's kind of this supplementary sphere which opened up uh in you know the kind of the nether regions of you know post thatcher post reagan capitalism yeah. 
health and well-being the fact that the industry a lot of times called the health and well-being industry is kind of health is not part of well-being <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right there's it's kind of this you know alternative it has this this vibe of an alternative space so people needed to because there was this collapse was going on we needed to come up with another word which described the space for something else and that that space of something else has been expanding but at the same time it has a reformist win-win make kind of connotation right and this is you know part of the issue is that the basic like you know for example welfare you know policies look totally equal income distribution uh is an example of the most controversial welfare policy of all time there's lots of issues with it right but the with just forcing income distributions to be equal because then people don't produce as much on the same other hand, if we are producing, if we have the total level of production society is kind of fixed, the more it's spread between people, the happier everybody is. Because like we said before, this curve goes like that. And if you kind of, we have, you know, yeah, yeah. We have one guy over here and the next person's over here. We have them both here, right? If you look at the, if you just do the math, the, the the total happiness is always you take the total amount of money you put everybody on that same spot the curve the the total happiness is highest right and i just and, want to emphasize something maybe to listeners at this point is that we're doing a lot of discourse in i think what we might say is the almost neoliberal or economics minded mindset not because it's necessarily totally what we think but because we're trying to speak into that even in that listening even in that ironically you know e given production being all things equal and leaving aside coercion questions and so on the political side from an economic point of view redistributing income is just a sort of win-win or well no not a win-win it's an overall social win it might not be a win for everyone in society but i'm just saying so just to emphasize that but so what you're saying is like there was this collapse well-being sort of meek it's it's got this sort of aspect to it but actually what and what we're what we're trying to do is sort of use that opening and we, and there are two parts of it. One is it is important. It focuses on things that that were not necessarily material in well in well being, but also we could expand that sort of meek meaning of it into a much more, in a positively sense, radical, much more like much more positive the potential impact of it into a much bigger idea of like let's refocus on well being. And can you tell me why that why would that be such a big deal like? If, if I get it, well, maybe I could say I understand as the big deal is going back to our sort of like trap, either in like, I, you know, either I want to be, I want kind of well-being growth. If I'm in the world where being equals material stuff, then I want growth. That's not sustainable. And so I'm stuck. I, you know, either I'm unsustainable, but I'm getting happier, maybe. Or I'm like wearing the hair shirt and turning the thermostat down. It's really cold. And my well, basically, crudely, my well-being is going down you know and but we're sustainable and there's this sort of like that there's that's such a gridlock that we have in the climate sustainability discussion and what we're saying is this what is and what is it that we've been what has been coming up in the well-being area that allows us to move out of like the collapse of material what it, i mean maybe it's age oh, yeah. tell us a bit about that okay so there's a there's something uh, i think there's there's one more background thing yeah. okay and this these go together mindfulness for example is one huge example of people's oh you know and, and, and it has that issue right 
this, this kind of tells us where well-being is now that okay mindfulness is kind of stress management go to your so it's an ancient practice for cultivating a quality of mind which really improves people's uh, you know how good it is to be alive you know people experience how good it is to be alive uh, at the same time because it's kind of hemmed in in the, the sphere uh, that we've created for well-being, it's kind of trapped a bit in this. Well, you go to your kind of your job that you don't like, and you have lots of stress. But you do want, right? That's that's kind of this this the stereotype of it, or the criticism of it. So, at the same time, we've discovered that actually it really works, right? So, the the, the trick is to use that we've learned in well-being about. You know, we've been a kind of accepting the system as it is and putting these little kind of buffers and hacks on top of it. Say, well, why don't we just change the whole system to allow this kind of cultivation of different qualities of mind and reach its full potential rather than allowing whatever cultivation of different qualities of minds can fit in the growth oriented system. Right. And, and, you know, right. that's. Right, right. So something that was almost, it's like at the beginning, it's like the sticking plaster on the growth machine, you know, and well-being, its meaning even is reduced to sort of like, hey, most of well-being is material and there's these small little extra fixes, like you're stressed at work. But as this grows, as we see the potential of it, and as we really took the meaning of the word well-being or welfare seriously, it sort of would kind of like invert the whole system. The, the patch would sort of become, well, I don't know, like it would go from being the small, the, the mice on top of the elephant to the elephant and they're kind of on the mouse. And what, just to get that, part of what you're also saying, I think there's several, it's why it's such a rich conversation. Part of it is just the very arrival of mindfulness, at least in the West, the collision, you know, I ain't, traditions which are very ancient, even in Christian prayer and things like that, but they're kind of mainstreaming their collision with sort of Western science or kind of merging of some aspect. We're in a moment now where compared to even 20, 30 years ago, the amount of psychology research, the amount of evidence base we have for well-being, things like mindfulness which have this much richer potential than just some stress management, like profound potential that's reaching a kind of critical mass is a sense like it, it, of maybe it's not quite there, but there's a now a material say, wow, what we could call like zero carbon well-being policies. You know, you know, the traditional one was we're going to add to GBP. That's not at least until the fantasies of, I don't know, <laughs> Elon Musk or someone come true. It's not zero carbon. Uh, growth that's very much not but so we growth and well-being we've suddenly got all these techniques that not just at the superficial but at a really profound level offer amazing well-being and i mean you we mentioned one is mindfulness but are there others trauma recovery you know another tell me, tell me a I bit mean, more that, about that. yeah well look there's there's a two percent of the population essentially uh suffers from complex trauma 20 percent as some type of trauma, which seriously affects their their experience of, of life, uh, negatively affects their, their well-being, but also massively affects uh, anxiety. Um, it's kind of it's an interesting question of how do you measure well-being? It's actually people with recover from trauma experience say that their lives are massively better, though their their scores on 
you know, linear test of well-being aren't as different as, as you uh, as you, you might like to see them be. But as far as, well, look, my, my whole life, uh, I've been uh, with people who recover from trauma. And I'd say, you know, me, that's, that's partially true, you know, that I, I had um, a, a traumatic childhood. I used to have anxiety attacks, you know, six, six times a day. Uh, you know, I don't have, I haven't had an anxiety attack in six years. Uh, and, you know, I probably put my well-being, my, my well-being at a 8.5 now, and I probably put it at a 7, 0.5 before, but I don't actually agree that it's a point better. Uh, and so there, there's kind of this, these questions we have to ask yeah. ourselves, but at the same time, it's really nobody, nobody who, who, who is around people who've recovered from, from trauma says anything but they're really different people their lives are massively better right and 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 those people have quite a lot of effects in their their family their environment second order effect um such that if you can imagine every person in your life kind of really can't listen you kind of say one thing and nobody you know it doesn't really feel like you're ever really heard and always kind of feels like they're responding to somebody else uh and they tend to be extremely reactive uh and spread reactivity around them right if you have somebody who that really really describes that person probably is suffering from some level of trauma if you imagine what your life would be like if say half of those people uh had their symptoms be half severe or go away you know, what Which would it be like? For them, I mean, I think there's also like there's the A study. I mean, for Litty's data on the impact of, uh, you know, severe, tra quite severe trauma in childhood and on suicide, you know, can I mean, it's still just yeah, on the health. Yeah. So I, but what I'm trying to say is you're just saying is the number what, what you're saying. So one was you mentioned mindfulness. The other is saying trauma. These these are zero carb. You know, I mean, OK, there's a cost of psychotherapy or trauma treatment, but it's not this is not a new Porsche. What we're talking about is and it's things that we could do for each other. Uh, and we you don't have to travel very much. You know, I mean, maybe ideally I, I would think like some some countryside uh retreat centers where people could go to for the initial period people have very severe uh trauma they might want to spend some time and, and a kind of deep dive in trauma recovery uh after getting started with a a, a psychologist close to home if you had a, a program like that but um Exactly. And, and also the time people spend, I mean, like if we're talking about actually maybe doing less in other areas of our life, you know, in the material degree. But just to say, we've got a couple of examples so of, of these sustainable well-being, what we could call within that sustainable well-being policy with these kind of zero carbon, high well-being examples, which are coming up in the being area of human beings, not the, the kind of having area, but the yeah. being area. So mindfulness, trauma, which you said, it we now morality i mean another and this this can give us another so we we we're, we're doing something this year called mindfulness based philosophical inquiry uh and also working on that with uh david kellen moral imaginations uh on essentially work of 
well, how do we connect to our, our moral sense through inquiry and imagination? Okay. A public program or inquiry, so we're not telling people what rules to follow, would say like, well, investigate yourself. Uh, and looking at, looking at what science can teach us about our interconnection, and really getting people to inquire to how separate their lives are from those of, of the people around them. Another example of, uh, of awakening your moral imagination, your, your moral sense, um, getting a sense of service, which is probably really amazing in terms of its, uh, its benefits and well-being. People who, who get into service vastly increase their well-being, another example. Of By service, what, what you mean is serving, contributing to others. Contributing to others, yeah. yeah. Opening, doing, doing public service is a, is a massive boon to people's well-being. Um, but uh, so what, programs what, to to awaken that sense powerfully could could. What, what what was the question? No, no, no. Keep going. So, so that's that's the third one, which is things that could awaken people's moral sense, the sense of purpose for themselves, them discovering. So this kind of inquiry leading also potentially into service which is we again have now substantial evidence on its benefits for people's uh, well-being and just just to say the, the 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 things we're talking about here maybe for people listening and we should check the data but we're talking about things which are really on the order of magnitude of thousands or tens of that you know you know a ten thousand dollar increase in gdp would be equivalent you know like you yeah. know really level you know th these are really significant impacts um, and a doubling of gdp in some cases you know yeah. i mean it's it's a bit like like you know, really, if, if GDP doubled uh, and everybody did mindfulness, I'm not sure how far apart those. Because you know, we're at the point of the curve we are right now. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so, are there any other examples? I'm just saying we can come back. But other examples we've thought about that 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 you might that you might share of like kind of the zero zero growth, high well being policy yeah, zero, sure. sorry, zero zero kind of material growth or zero and anything that protects uh community i mean this is get back to another example look, looking considering something on the order of rent control or just policies that help people stay put in an urban area so make it make it harder for uh neighborhoods with changes in, in changes in, in price which are dramatic over a short period of time however we do that and this is a, a point. The point is not, oh, we have to do that. They don't have any negative consequences. Yes. But, but what we're talking about, some of the inner stuff we're talking about is, is it seems a little bit more consequence-free. As soon as you get into the stuff yeah. like rent control, it gets super controversial. But I think it's, it's part of the, the discussion of the ethos of a, of a movement that really is going to talk to them the center of society is that we're not just, oh, rent control, we can't, that's too much. You know, yes. we have to take those yeah. totally seriously, right? And we can't be just in this what I call like, I sometimes think the trivial economy is called Pareto improvement, but like win-win for everybody, because it, yeah. it puts you in a corner where there's very few, there are some policies, but like even trauma recovery, someone pays for it. There's a cost, quote unquote, or someone has to put energy. And I think let's just go to that. And I think the point you're saying about rent control is in one version of that story of the past, it was sort of almost a kind of, uh, you know, 
not like kind of the people versus the, the, the capitalists or something like, you know, like it was a rent control was like, oh, it's about equal money distribution. I think the very framing is an example of the sustainable well-being saying, listen, you know, there might be ways, but the reason we're interested in rent control, we're interested more fundamentally in preserving community and urban community. And that's why we're interested in rent control. We're not, we're not trying to redistribute you money so much. We're not trying to restrict people making money per se, but we're interested in this and that because of its deep relationship to well-being. And just to go on about that, because that was just one an example I think was great. You're giving a very concrete one. Maybe it's controversial. But the thing was, there's so many things that come out of community. There's a lot of evidence we now have over the last 50, 60 years of the impact on health. I mean, there's the famous Rosito study in Pennsylvania that we could talk about at length, but there's a lot of stuff um, you know, there's obviously famously Putman's Bowling Alone, other things. Yeah. We're really documenting this evidence. And so that's another rich area we could mine for sustainable well-being policies, things that enhance or sustain or support community and community and human relationships, essentially. Work from home laws is another example, right? Reduced travel also allows people to live where they want. If people are are have you know are telecommuting over long distances. Where are they going to live? They're going to live basically near to the people they want to live around. What's going to form a community? How much traveling is that doing? None, right? So you know, and and and, and negative negative carbon, high well being. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's another another example. And so uh, those, which obviously is a great thing to be doing right after lockdown basically the environmental movement uh, and and people who support the sustainable well-being principle and the organizing principle of society should be getting their name on work from home laws right now um because look it, it's it's the right thing to do uh we've made all these advances we want to lock those in they will allow people to live where they they want to live uh or to form communities, stable communities over time. So, okay, so just to come back here, I mean, we could go, we could talk a lot longer about that, but I want to give us, is the politics of it. So I think one point is like, you know, I, you know, we sort of say here, life itself, or life, ideas of cheap implementation is costing. I think I want to emphasize and ask you a bit is that our thing about sustainable well-being is particularly out of almost a political strategy point. It's not saying, oh my God, this is such an innovative idea. It's sort of, but it's partly the presentation of this. And also, I think to say, we're not always talking about it right now. I mean, we're sort of talking about being ready. What we we, we sort of describe is getting to where the puck is, is going. Um, for example, some of the things we discussed right now, you know, may not, no one's maybe going to pass, like, we're going to give trauma treatment. We're going to do national scale, like trauma treatment for everyone. We don't know, we, at least we don't know of a country, at least, you know, currently doing that. But what we're saying is we, I mean, I want to come into the political aspect of this. So we've already talked about that. It can really change the framing of us more to a win-win. We can have well-being and we can have uh, zero carbon or we can decarbonize. But you're now but coming to that point, the aim also of this is to sort of have wise policies, a policy framework, a policy vision ready for what we think is, even if it's maybe not now, quite potentially quite soon, significant shifts in the political landscape as the climate crisis deepens. So could you talk a bit more about that? Yeah, exactly. The political strategy here. Exactly. So, so I mean, 
idea is kind of like look it is the organizing principle we haven't we're not quite there yet as far as embracing it how are we going to plan for the point right now what's happening is people basically most people have not fully internalized they don't have a felt sense of just how severe uh the climate crisis is going to be what type of challenges enable and, and that is understandable because you're a small individual we all are you know, millions and millions of people in your society and it kind of takes a whole world of billions of people to do something substantive about climate change and a lot of resistance to letting in the difficulty of the issue so people aren't doing it right now and because they're not doing it they're not really willing to put their backs into supporting political efforts that really try to push this principle as the organizing principle or the specific policies that they like that come out of the principle into the center of the political debate. We know that that's, you know, that's a, an issue. On the other hand, for people who, kind, who, who, who see what we're talking about, there's a lot to be optimistic about because that Overton window, the window of of possibility, the, the the window of what is broachable in public forums is constantly moving, right? Why is it constantly moving? Because weather is getting more extreme. Every time there's a new record for a forest fire, every time the North Pole gets you know to the smallest extent it ever has gotten to, kind of every year, every year the hurricane season gets worse. Every year there's a new drought. Um, and so on. Every year there's record floods somewhere like in Germany uh, last year. A new group of people, a new country kind of suddenly wakes up to the severity of climate change. Germany has uh, quite a bit this year, right? And um, so that Overton window is going in one direction as far as the ability to embrace radical change. And to say something also about that, I think that's very important. I, what I want to say just with me at this point is that we, really I find this is people who, well, we kind of now understand that humans tend to project a bit linearly into the future. We have different, I mean, people go on about this in technology that we underestimate the speed of technology or S-curve adoption. And it's also true in political things political change doesn't tend to happen like for a long time you know and i mentioned this discussion because sometimes when we brought up sustainable well-being particularly with well-informed people they'll be like oh but this is what we talked about in the 90s or you know the this green party and we're like yes and that's we're not claiming per se the these ideas although some aspects of what we talked about like the well-being the being part of the well-being has become much more visible and prominent and what's clearer the material problems but it's that Basically, it's like avalanches. There's going to be a small, small thing. It's going to look for a long time like, my God, why are we not doing anything? And it, and that is a big problem. But there's also going to be a moment when actually very sudden shifts happen. When and 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 particularly in because of the way humans form opinions, <laughs> which yeah, is we're influenced by neighbors. Point, there's right? going to be a kind of tipping point that's going to be quite sudden. And one of the we 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 imagine and we certainly hope around action around climate crisis, and that is quite unpredictable. It may be quite soon, 
I mean, you might not be, we don't know, but it may well be in the next decade at the rate things are going and what you see in public opinion, what you see, it's just aging. Like the attitudes of like 25 year olds compared to 35 year olds compared to 45 year olds. And those people are going to be five, 10 years older. I mean, look at Bernie Sanders and, you know, I mean, who who thought in 2008 we were going to have a black president of the United States and, and then uh, a social, somebody calls himself a socialist, but, you know, uh, eight years later, being a very serious candidate. I mean, the idea in 19, if you told anybody in 1988 or 1992 for that matter, 1996 for that matter, that somebody who, who was a declared socialist was going to be a serious presidential candidate in 2016, they would have thought you were nuts. You know, as a matter of fact, I know they would have thought because I, I, I had that conversation, right? Right. And, and so what we, we're saying here, when you talk about this Overton window, if people are not familiar, which is the, the space of what's kind of considered even acceptable in ideas, just in the way that you gave a good example. For a period in the United States, being a socialist was just outside the Overton window. It was outside the window of political acceptability, um, you know. Uh, I mean, another one is Angela Davis. I mean, I think, you know, some of the people, a woman who was, you know, major for, you know, influence considered, you know, in things, some of the things now. So what we're saying, though, is also that even if these policies right now seem a bit like, oh, wow, you know, that, that's never going to happen, you know, except in Germany, rent control never happened. You know, the things could move very quickly in terms of attitudes. And the point is that these are policies that are hopeful policies as well they're not simply just moving in the direction of like oh my god we're all going to have to have no heating that they're, 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 these are things that as we move into the center are both optimistic for the future plausible but but really have a potentially mass appeal so there's aspect of what you're saying is the political strategy is this is something that the window is starting to open for mm -hmm. yeah and and we can shift it so part of the thing is that as we mentioned, if there's right. nothing, if there's no hope of getting together a coalition and, there, and life isn't better, then it, it's actually harder to accept climate reality. And accepting climate reality is right. Part of, is there is there is what's shifting the Overton window. So actually having the plan in place for when people accept that the severity of the situation actually moves forward. The probably very likely the date at which they accept the situation, right? So the, the more we have a plan in place, the more people are willing to actually consider the fact that we need to have a plan, right? Right, right. and- Right, that, that, if I tell you there's a fire, but there's no lifeboat on the ship, kind of like, you, you're kind of more likely to just not think there's a fire, you know? <laughs> like, if we, there's, there's this aspect that if we're giving people, so I, that's very important and a little bit subtle of a systems feedback type point where there's both, we need something when people see, more enough people see the reality to really support real political action and that very existence of a kind of, and not just kind of the green growth, slightly like, oh, right, we can have our cake and eat it. You know, we're just going to keep consuming electricity, doing all this stuff, and it's all going to be fine, which doesn't. But you need a narrative that's really plausible helps actually people accept it. And both on the kind of the, 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 the maybe the more tough doomer side and on the more optimist side on both parties, both. That's another point maybe to come to is that you mentioned right at the beginning that even for the environmental movement, this kind of lack, it's often been a bit of a hair shirt narrative or. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could show a story. I mean, you know, part of my real reason for being 
interested in this. I, I was always interested in activism. I used to go to rallies. And I would look at these people, you know, kind of like kind of hunched and angry and say, like, look, the number one issue that we have here is people don't look at people who show up to rallies and want to be like that. You know, if, if you're kind of like angry and, 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 and bitter as an activist, do people want to share the ideas, kind of attitude that we and have? We've all been angry and bitter as activists as well. So we're talking about ourselves here, just to be clear. Yeah. 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 Well, this is, a, well, that's a, I was, you know, at that point, I was, I was kind of, and I found it myself and I wanted to move away from it, you know, and, and I, I, I looked at the, the more people got into it, the more something that was already in, in me that was just kind of dissatisfied and bitter seemed to get to get being the, the process was amplified and i looked at it and felt from the other side well this is the other re the reason why so many people aren't interested in joining us they look at all of us uh and say well i don't want to do that you know and, and it's true so holding holding awareness of where we are with race is i mean that's the, the well-being task for activists, but it's increasing the well-being task for society. So I revisit that point, right, to the point of the Overton window, addressing climate anxiety, right? Look, a couple of years ago, when you, when people went to psychologists, they said that they're, they're up at night because they're worrying about climate. The psychologist said, well, you know, it was trying to figure out what this is really about off. A lot of people have stories about you know activists going to the to the, the psychologist and, and 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 asking this. And nowadays, there's a lot of times they go and so the psychologist says, "Yeah, me too." Uh, you know that they themselves are, and there's a whole a whole organization called the Climate Psychology Alliance, which which deals with this stuff, right? A, I think one of the major pieces right now for um, sustainable well-being is being well with our sustainability challenge and and really addressing the public health crisis the the mental health crisis around climate anxiety it's now gotten to a point where it's an undeniable fact of contemporary life that this is here a lot of people are suffering from it and it, and it calls for tax dollars that those people pay to be used in some way which addresses that reality of contemporary life and if that contemporary life is dressed uh, my bet is that you have a lot more enrolled people in making a sustainable well society uh, because once yeah. they get over their anxiety they're, they're the tendency this is the, the, the passive most of the heads of Extinction Rebellion and the heads of more moderate uh, climate movements. So, so um, yes, yeah, so to emphasize, there's basically this kind of positive feedback loop, also in this the political strategy. Why we think that the politics of, of sustainable well-being is so interesting and attractive is not only does it pull forward the Overton window, so so not only is it there when the Overton window moves forward, it itself pulls forward the Overton window, and now in at least several senses. One, it provides a kind of a, a, a vision of hope, of like something we can do that will both, we'll be, we'll be happier and weller, and we'll have a, a, a sustainable economic social system, 
And the other point is you're saying that given the amount of stress that the climate, the unaddressed climate crisis also kind of, there's a kind of those people who also the activists sometimes at the forefront or the wider society that's starting to feel that anxious anxiety. This almost helps their, their well-being, which in turn helps them really see react, kind of see the reality, be with it. This deep mm -hmm. problem of being able to acknowledge what's really happening, the true uh, gravity of it without it overwhelming us, which it can so easily do. And without it being like, oh, it's all going to be fine. It may not be fine. And it's without it also, without that like either repression the suppression, repression, uh, kind of ignoring it, or the kind of the the, the catastrophizing of it. Yeah. So, so to kind of wrap up on 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 here a little bit. I mean, first I want to check: is there anything you more you want to add on any of these points we haven't covered? And then maybe we can kind of wrap up of like the key takeaways for us. Well, I think the main thing is the one thing we haven't covered. Is so, you know, why when we go back to the old coalitions, the old ways of being you know what are we running into what is our conditioning another thing that we've run into when we get into this inner inner the inner work right is is secularity and to get to this last point we're dealing with existential uh questions it, it, and, and this is just something that we, we have to kind of navigate mindfulness was was hard to Broach as a subject because it sounds like religion. Well, you know, look, mindfulness, meditation, all of that stuff is kind of like about your being. Uh, it's about about um, working with your your basic state of being, and that is not generally being considered a public space. Uh, it used to be the kind of secularity with this, this inner kind of community space, and then there's the government space. Um, and what's kind of happened is we, we there was a public space though for being because everybody was Catholic uh, or everybody was Protestant. But whatever it was, at least there was a public, or they were split Catholic and split Protestant, but people at least had a public space that was pretty large that they were part of, which was a being space. And right now, what's kind of happened is there is no public being space for a lot of people that they fit into. There's just kind of a secular society that they're part of and then their private life. Um, and I think we need to be, as, as people being activists or, or approaching the subject, to, to realize that that's part of the cultural um, baggage history that we're dealing with, is that there's a very particular resistance to uh, the state or the government being involved in questions of being. But we're, we're starting to find a way of, of dealing with that. And, questions around around mindfulness uh, around trauma relief around you know around i'd say the deep adaptation or the adaptation climate future will, will get us there more but i think that's really sort of a, a, a call an open call for people to have more conversation about that in, in our you know, future work like, well, how do we how do we reopen that 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 question of how to organize a public being space uh, that can maybe make up for the ones that have fallen ways. 
Yeah, great. I mean, really, yeah, really great. Okay. Well, so what's so our kind of takeaway is we said what sustainable well-being is, which is what it says on the tin, a sustainable like sustainable. So certainly in that case, a zero carbon uh, approach, but in broader than that, but focused on well-being, and so and and particularly what's crucial of well-being beyond material growth, like de, uh, you know, uncollapsing the material part that can contribute to that from the the non-material. Uh, part and the, the I think also just want to emphasize here before there can be a long way up the curve, but the point that really kicks in can be really pretty low down the uh, the the consumption curve in terms of uh, in terms of that um, we can come back to that maybe in a subsequent episode in some of our material online which you can you can find. Um, secondly, you were saying that, that what we're interested in particularly is the politics and the the reason that this is coming to the fore, which is several converging factors. The, the movement down, the, 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 the fact that some countries are now so well off, there's very little being done, yet they're causing most of the carbon emissions, yet they're getting very little for material growth uh, in, in even the most optimistic estimates. I mean, some people think it would actually be negative for well-being, but, you know, the material growth, um, <laughs> even directly. But the most optimistic, secondly, uh, the growth in the well-being evidence and the being part of it, the stuff that isn't material-related in the last, certainly accelerated last 20, 30 years, obviously over thousands of years, but in, in terms of the scientific and, and kind of presence in society. Secondly, obviously, the growing climate crisis, which means that the Overton window is really shipping and shipping shifting more rapidly and will be sort of avalanche-like. It won't be continuous. It will keep moving. And then suddenly there'll be a majority or a, like the, the, the number of people, there'll be a kind of aspect of that. And so finally, uh, what we're, we're saying is that we're sort of creating a set of, to, to end one of the aspects of the efforts of life itself is both putting this idea why it's time has come or coming very soon, but also this menu of policies to have ready for policymakers who are interested in this, who see this narrative and I'd say, okay, well, give me some, sustainable well-being policies policies particularly which are high well-being low zero or even negative uh, kind of carbon impact what can you show me and that's one of the things that we've been doing uh, with our collaborators collaborators in the wiser policy yeah and, and to build an overall ethos right where we're going towards this we have the plan for the future we're working on some stuff right now there's kind of the now things that we could be doing yeah, we could be, be doing more with trauma recovery right now. Uh, we could be doing more with work at home right now. Anyways, some of the things you mentioned have to go back, but for the, there's mm. stuff that can be delivered now as part of a movement that has an overall plan to take us to a, a transition to a weller society. Yes. Right? And to really build that narrative, that feeling of like there is a movement towards this and to put policies that people like people are going to experience that we can get past so that people can experience them as good policies so that help to move forward the adoption rate. So yeah. What can we start with? How do we get that, you know, the adoption curve? How do we get the positive impact of those policies tied to an overall ethos of sustainable well-being that so such that as the you know the evidence accumulates that we need a radical shift people look to 
these sustainable well-being policies when they decide that shift is necessary, right? It's to some extent already introduced itself at the answer, right? So that's where and climate anxiety, for example, right now, <laughs> a big way to of, uh, of pushing that, that yeah. forward. So, and to wrap up, if people are interested and in finding out more or participating in this work or whatever, go to uh, just search for life itself, sustainable well-being, or go to life itself uh, point us slash sustainable dash well-being, all one word on the well-being. And well, yeah, we look forward to future episodes. If you want to also find out more about, you know, sign up for more, just sign up to our newsletter. Just go to lifeitself.us and your slash newsletter. All the very best. Like the, also, give a, a short shout out to uh, David Dekel, uh, Jamie Bristow, and Rupert Reed for a useful conversation about this subject. Um, and Jeff Mulgan and all of yeah, the other Jeff Mulgan as well, yeah. participants we've had on the Wiser Policy Forum. Yeah, we should, a full list is on some of the blog posts and the paper that we're going to be releasing. So, yeah, we, we, uh, we apologize if we've missed anyone out there, but there are lots of people who've been contributing in conversations with us. And obviously the huge, there's a huge background of the idea that's nothing to do in any way with life itself that we are simply standing on the shoulders of. So yeah, all, all great acknowledgements. Thank you very much, Liam, for your time today. And we look forward to further conversations. Yeah, thank you, Rufus. <laughs>